I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. This week, we love to watch. You can't take no more. It ain't no lie. We love to watch you out that door. Baby, the hills have eyes. Eyes, eyes, eyes. <laughs> hey, Peter. There we go. There we go. You did it. You're a regular, um, whatever the opposite of Phil Spector is. You're like, yeah, that takes fine. I was, I was the Joey <laughs> Fatone. We're gonna layer it in. We're, we're, it's, it's fine. I'm gonna go on and host the Family Feud, so none of this matters. <laughs> you want to do some more whispering? <laughs> we love to whisper. Welcome to the final episode of Kill Billy's Volume Two. Yeah, thank you so much, Aaron, for sticking with me during this this month where I was just so proud of the Kill Billy's Volume Two pun, and, and we had to say it every single week this month. Peter, I'm happy when you're happy. I would like for this to be the future of the show is just us riding puns right into the grave, and then also like a little deeper. I think so. And then next year we're doing uh, Kill Billy's Volume Three, and then uh, the year after that we're doing uh, Vill Billy's, uh, which is a track by track deconstruction of the only Vill Billy's album that I'm aware of, with their one hit wonder from 2005 called "Burning Down the House." <laughs> If anyone in our audience gets that, I would be shocked. I had I had that album on a, a CD, as the kids called it, because I really did like that song, and I've never what does thought CD about stand for. So it stands for um C D. <laughs> Are you flirting? Yeah, C that D. Uh, the D was a disc, but ironically, that's not what it stood for. It just it was it stood for S E E D E. You're kind of bumming me out because I was hoping that by the time we get to like Kill Billy's Volume Three or Four, uh, we are both murdered by a Mark David Chapman of our podcast. Yeah, I I remember one time we thought we did, but it turned out to be a SoundCloud glitch that went away, where it looked like one person in one tiny city had listened to one episode seventy five times in like three days, and we're like. <laughs> Shit's gonna go pretty nuts. <laughs> that person just kept listening to like our second or third release. But I like the idea of us not us knowing that and then just still tracking the growth of our podcast, like regardless of that, and be like, well, we're getting a big a big growth in the um creepy dude from Duluth sector. And yeah. We track growth just by how much one person listens to it. Like, <laughs> oh man, he's really obsessed with us now. He listened to it four hundred times last week. Yeah. So goes Dylan, goes the nation. Yeah. So yeah, so this is the last episode of Kill Billy's volume two. I think at the show i was like you're gonna murder me no no yeah the last episode period uh no and we're doing two movies we're doing the hills have eyes a Wes craven movie from i want to say 1978 it's 77 but very close oh my i mean you could have still seen it probably in 78 so you don't need to be a pedantic ad no (laughs) all of a sudden it's not all of a sudden it's not cool to get the years right like (laughs) um and then 2006 Wait, hold on. I have his name. I figured out how to pronounce his name for the show, Peter. You did? I did. I wrote it down. Uh, I know. So, it's Alexand, and then like a very soft uh at the end. So, it's like Alexander Aya. 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 Like like a crazy train? Aya, 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 aya. The J is a Y nase. No, nase. It's a Y nase. Yes, yes. It's like a it's like a nice 2006 bottle of wineaise, which is which is wine and mayonnaise that's been combined. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> as you can tell also from our inability to get on track it's just a pete and aaron episode yeah <laughs> we're not we're not like uh stunning our guest into silence with our no. stupidity there is no one to stun i feel like these are either some of our best episodes because they're we get to be super goofy and just have a good time and not not have to you know it's like when you're at your house by yourself like you can walk around with your dick out it doesn't matter mm-hmm. no one's gonna care sometimes it's fun sometimes you get it caught on something when you're walking around <laughs> it's painful for everyone involved but you know that's kind of i feel like that's the case with this podcast when we're just by ourselves whipping our dicks out sometimes it's it's some really good heights for this show you're having a great time and sometimes we slam that dick right in the toilet seat <laughs> you know uh i didn't realize how much of a mistake my living choices were until i decided to move into this uh fan factory mm, yeah uh, man not I great that sucker caught in fans all day long and it was unfortunately uh it was like two miles away from the great factory where they put the covers on them so <laughs> 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 hey guys, guess what else? Welcome back to Dick Talk. Welcome back to Dick Talk. <laughs> it's Dick Talk time. All right, that concludes <laughs> Dick Talk for today. The date, the time is 9.07 p.m. Central sweet, Standard. Sweet Christ. <laughs> we'll see you back here next week. Uh, yeah, so so yeah, this is the end. Uh, we're doing two movies. Uh, I had I'd only seen the 2006 version, the Aya version. I had never seen uh, the original. Uh, I I guess I didn't realize how how close they are in general. Um, I guess I kind of broad expected, strokes are almost identical. Yeah, they really are. And I and for some reason, even watching because I when I rewatched uh, or when I watched them in this order, I watched the West Craven one first and thought, man, that was so different than the other one that I remembered from ten years ago. And it was not. Although there is some, uh, I definitely have a preference. I would say uh, one is good and one is bad. Um, hmm. That's about where I'm at. Yeah, that's. I, th- I thought we were on the same page, but I like yeah, I like adding at. tension. I love that Doug used the uses the armrests. <laughs> he does. He's yeah, that kind of dog. He puts one one arm up on the armrest that he's sitting by. It's great. Um, he's like he's like, Aaron. I just wanna just wanna wanna chow down a little bit with you. Well, yeah, it, it, it is. It's like <laughs> let's sit down. Time for our talk that I mentioned we were gonna have later <laughs> let's today. Let's talk about your performance. <laughs> But he's still a super chill boss. <laughs> like, put kicks a leg up on the chair to let you know you're not getting a raise this year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah. So we're really excited to finish off this month as we as we then go into. Uh, we actually have the rest of the year essentially planned. So we'll talk more about uh, that at the end of the show. But for now, Peter, I hear you have a little game for me. I do, Aaron. I do. So, uh, more overtly in the remake than in the original, but both Hills of Eyes movies are essentially about genetic mutation. The second one, more overtly about uh, genetic uh, mutation caused by, you know, radiation from being near a test site. The first one, kind of like a, a strange mix where it's like a little bit of, you know, radiation and a little bit of inbreeding and such. Like it's more it's more spelled out in the, in the latter, but they're both about when things go a little awry. Uh, so my... My game this week is called Mutating Questions. Uh, Aaron, do you want to play uh, Mutating Questions with me? I don't know. I mean, who doesn't want to get out of, like, you have a long day at work. Yeah, you put your kid to bed, say goodnight to your wife, make dinner. 
Shine your spurs, I imagine. Shine your spurs. Oh, yeah. Clean out all the spittoons <laughs> you have around the house. Uh, you know, plop down with your best bud to record your show. Uh, and he just wants to talk about uh, genetic mutations and then play a game about it. So, sure, Peter. I'd mm-hmm. love to play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was going to start the game whether or not you approved of this. Just kind of a thing I was going to do anyways. Cause, uh, Great. I've got well, six you questions can't here. you can't beat me at this because I do approve. <laughs> <laughs> I've got six questions here for you. Do you want to? Uh, do you want I'd to start. Well, I'd I'd start with question one. Yeah, let's start. Let's start right at question. Look, one. Look, we're not we're not ready to take the training wheels off this. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't do games very often. Okay, so I need a little bit more like a little more lube, a little more uh, <laughs> more warm up, a little more lube, uh, a little more foreplay. I gotta tell um, you something. If you don't do it often, you need less lube. <laughs> you just need to look at it. It's gonna go up. It's, that's how you are. You just look at a game and you can do yep. it. Oh, um, got that first question done. All right. Question number one: Marvel's X Men experienced a genetic mutation in the prenatal stage that gave them extraordinary powers. Uh, The comic series origin in the nuclear age helps codify this as people uh, at the time were unsure of what long-term effects radiation would have. Question number one. What color are my eyes? I mean, you're Aryan. So, I'm going to say blue? That is true. One point for Aaron. Wait, hold on. You didn't even like Make any sort of rejection as my claim that you're an Aryan. <laughs> I feel like you've been a little too beat down being called that by your life. You gotta, you gotta give some resistance to that description, Peter, even if it's accurate, even if it's nominal. Yeah. So, uh, Aaron, you got one point for that question. Nice work. Uh, a recent theory proposed that as recent as six to ten thousand years ago, a mutation occurred in the human race that introduced blue eyes into the population, and that all humans with blue eyes come from that specific mutation. So before then, the theory is that there were no blue eyes before the specific mutation occurred. So question number two. In Velvet Underground's Pale Blue Eyes, does the blue-eyed girl make the narrator, presumably Lou Reed, sometimes feel A, happy, B, sad, C, mad, or D, all of the above? Like, is this inferred or laid out directly in the song? I'm pretty sure it's the first verse. I mean, probably all of the above. It is all of the above. Yeah. No, I've heard the song. I'm a huge Limp Biscuit fan. <laughs> <laughs> so two points for Aaron. It's currently two zip. Are all these going to be blue eyes related? No. Okay. In the Fallout universe, Great. <laughs> ghouls are mutants created by long-term exposure to radiation poisoning. True or false? Ghouls are ravenous killing machines similar to zombies. True? Uh, neither. In some cases, yes. Other cases, no. So no both? On that one. No, I no think it's both. That's half a yeah. point. Yeah, no points on that one. Um, question I played, I played five hours of Fallout 3 and got stuck in a sewer and had multi-tiered my save with a broken leg and I just quit and never played any Fallout games <laughs> ever again. That's a good way to do it. Because at that point, you're like, well, I guess my guy's story is over. Well, it'll work. <laughs> I guess he wandered around a sewer, couldn't figure out how to get out at a very slow pace with a broken leg until, <laughs> until he got frustrated and laid down and died. And in Fallout 3, like, every, like so many people basically are like, you're going to be the one that's going to save the wasteland. You're going to save the Commonwealth. And I like the idea of you just being like, 
I'll just die here in the sewer. I couldn't believe that, like, there was, even if you died, you woke up with a broken leg again. <laughs> like, like well, how am I going to get out of this sewer? Yeah. Crawling forever. Yeah. That's fucking terrible. Um, question number four. According to the CDC, a developing fetus is highly susceptible to health effects from radiation poisoning because of the rapid rate of cell division. That would be A, a good thing, or B, a bad thing. Good thing. <laughs> no, that's it. Would, I have. I, I think it would be a bad thing. Um, so I'm going to do plus zero here on a little scorecard because you didn't get a point. Um, I thought you were talking about the song. <laughs> My good thing. Where have you gone? Do, 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 do. Good thing. If you just keep singing, I'll definitely throw points on. I thought it was actually apropos to this to this episode, Peter, because that's by a little band called the Fine Young Cannibals. <gasps> and there are fine young cannibals. In they're this fine. Film. They're fine. They're young. They are 100% cannibals. <laughs> There's very little hemming and hawing yeah. on the word cannibal. I no. There. Okay, so plus one point for... Uh, yeah. A uh, FYC reference. <laughs> You're at three points. How long did it take you, like, in your head to make sure you had the acronym right? <laughs> <laughs> well, in editing, a lot shorter. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> question number five. While the only nuclear test ever done in New Mexico, which is technically where this film takes place, and they proposed that nuclear testing was done, uh, was the Trinity test, the first of its kind, uh... Nevada had uh, many, many more of the tests. How many were conducted? 100 to 500, 500 to 1,000, or 1,000 to 1,500? So, this wasn't one of the answers, but I feel like the na- the number 33 stuck in my head. So, I'm going to go really outside the box and choose 33. 33 is wrong. Oh. Oof. Was it because I said Trinity test? I mean, maybe. My brain works in mysterious ways. Yeah. Well, your brain is like the the girl from the song Mysterious Ways. Oh, you mean she she's moves, all right? She moves in mysterious ways. My brain's all right, all right, all, all right. All right. She moves. <laughs> this, this is becoming a very music-centric episode. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, California Dreamin'. Uh, the actual number is 928. Mm, so it's um, off. Yeah. <laughs> I, have a, I have a B question on this. Okay. Um, these tests were primarily completed underground or above ground? Uh, underground. Yeah. So this is something, do you know about this? That yeah, they, so, after a period of time, they started conducting the tests uh, underground for a bunch of reasons, yeah. mostly because of fallout? Yep. No, I do remember uh, reading about that in... Uh, I think it was the book Area 51. I read a – I don't know if you – which wasn't like – which wasn't about aliens. It was actually about like the base there. Yeah. There's very frequently protests there, uh, you know, anti-nuclear war protests. Carl yep. Sagan has been arrested in Nevada for mm-hmm. – Not in a while. Not in a while. <laughs> he has been in the past. <laughs> yeah. I'm just clarifying for our listeners. It's been, It's been a little bit. It's been a minute. All right. Moving on from that. Um, See, that's the great thing about no guest episodes. We don't know what this is going to become. Yeah. We've got no idea how we can ruin this episode. Yeah. There's just like a cornucopia of ways. It can go downhill so quickly. You know in uh, uh, Tim Allen's hit film, The Santa Claus? Uh, no, I'm familiar with. Is that related to uh, the movie The Santa Claus uh, 3? The Escape Claus? 
escape clause. Yeah. Uh, yes, there are actually. Um, <laughs> it's not called Santa Claus Three because like he has three sides to his personality, or if there are three Santa Clauses. Though Santa Claus Two. Oh, see, I thought Santa that clauses. Interesting. See, I thought so. There's a two as well. There's a two as well, and it features two Santa Clauses. So mm. I feel like that could be confusing. the The number does not correlate to the number of Santa Clauses in the film. Oh no, I thought it was about the Holy Trinity: the Father, the Son, and Jack Frost, <laughs> played by Martin Short, the indomitable Martin Short. He's pretty funny in that movie. Why is he funny in that movie? I've never seen it. <laughs> well, in the, in the film, the Santa Claus, which I don't, I. Yeah, I would like to talk about right now. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Maybe get the reference. There's a a sack. Um, Is this part of the game show? He just pulls out. No, it's not. Okay. He just pulls out presents from the sack, and he's just like he doesn't know what's in there. He just like you know the elves did the work and the magic sack works. And does he does he call it when he pulls one out? Does he call it a sack attack? (laughs) No, you'd have to like assault somebody with the sack. (laughs) I. It's, it's called helicoptering. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if that was part of the movie? <laughs> like, here's your here's your train, little boy. Sack attack. <laughs> Santa got me in my skateboard and a oh, concussion. Yeah. Oh. Uh, okay. Um. In the film, imagine they're in the this endless bottomless sack. My eyes are closed. Sack, and he's just pulling out turd after turd and he's just like oh oh." he's like grateful that he's wearing gloves and he's like eventually the turds will stop coming that's what this episode has been so far i i forgot why you even started that to be honest yeah (laughs) i wasn't sure where we were going it all comes back around it's like it's like talking to a cocaine addict at 2 (laughs) a.m and you're like he'll get back to his point you just need to like leave him for 30 minutes (laughs) (laughs) all right are there more questions am i winning yeah, sure. Um, well, I have I have one point and you have three. So you, oh, yeah. nailing. Yes. Oh no, excuse me. I have one point. And you have four. Oh my gosh. Um, what movie was John Wayne filming when he suffered radiation poisoning? In Harm's Way, Cancel My Reservation, McHugh, The Conqueror, or Cowboys versus Radiation? Uh, it's tough because those all five of those. <laughs> Are John Wayne movies? <laughs> I'm gonna go for In Harm's Way. Nope, it was The Conqueror, his mm. uh, movie where he played Genghis Khan. John Wayne played Genghis Khan. You don't know about this? And got radiation poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like instant karma. <laughs> that that sounds like the worst version of like clue like john wayne in the conqueror with the radiation <laughs> do you not know about this he wears like yellow no. face with like a fu manchu mustache it's like the worst fucking thing in the world he did this in 1956 or so <laughs> this is his last movie it was 1988 but, uh, but yeah nice job aaron yeah you won four points and i won two points oh so i i won in a sense, we both won points. Okay, I, I mean, I can't I mean, argue I guess with that. If you want to be pedantic, you got more points oh, than me as the I, host. I hate being pedantic. Let's just <laughs> let's just call it a tie. <laughs> Do you want to uh, talk yes. about a couple movies called "The Hills Have Eyes"? Yeah, eyes, the, eyes, eyes. The hill, the hillses have eyes. <laughs> yeah, that should have been the 2006 remake with a Z. The hills have eyes. <laughs> That was really 2006's aesthetic. 
<laughs> if they made it today, it would be like all emojis and they would have to like introduce the new like hills emoji. Or they try to really creep it up like, you know, the mountains possess sight. <laughs> that's kind of creepy, yeah. Yeah. That's, all right, let's like talk, a, let's like talk about that. Yeah. You want to talk about them? Uh, yes. Let's talk about those hills that just have a sense of sight. So yeah, so uh, Peter, I think you have a five-second recap, and then we're going to kind of do what we did with, uh, what were those movies, Rookie of the Year and Little Big League, where we're just going to start talking about the movies, and then I'm going to jump in when one diverges from the other for the 90-second recap. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> I actually have two alternate taglines this week. Uh, one is uh, National Lampoon's Nuclear Test Site Vacation. Excellent. And uh, more of an alternate one. title, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think they might run into some legal hot water on that one. So the other one I had was is also probably legally dubious, and it's uh, the real family feud. <laughs> uh, I have one right now that's kind of keeping with our theme of the show, uh, and it is um, I just want the hills to have eyes. Throw your arms around me, baby, and I'll bite your head. All of our, like, spoofables are from the same three years in the 90s, and none of the songs are good. (laughs) No. (laughs) They're the only songs that I know. (laughs) Well, seriously, though, what are we going to fucking do? Like, do a little parody of The Hills Have Eyes to, like, fucking Debaser or something? (laughs) (laughs) Got me a family. I want you to know. (laughs) They're they're literally slicing up eyeballs. I want you to know. You could do a really depressing one from Wave of Radiation. (laughs) It's just about radiation. On a wave of radiation. Outside there's a camper waiting. <laughs> wave of mutination. What 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 is this podcast? It's like third class weird out. <laughs> it's like the person who tries to parody Weird Out. I love it. Let's keep doing it the whole episode. <laughs> I love it. Let's make it the show now. Um okay. Uh, I'm also going to do sort of a combined recap of this to save time because these two films are incredibly similar in terms of beats. Their approaches are pretty damn different. Would you say that they have the beat? (laughs) Do you just want to say songs that you know? Is that what you want? Yeah, we're just going (laughs) to... You know what this is? Do you remember that episode of Nathan for You, the coffee shop one, Starbucks, where like he goes and performs the lamest parodies of all time? Yeah. Where he just changes like one one word and makes everything about his dick. That's exactly what we're doing. Oh, God. Sorry. Okay. Just yeah, yeah, so take a recap. Yep. Of both. A typical suburban family is going on vacation uh, and they're driving to California uh, through the southwest and they decide to take a sort of uh, detour a sort of scenic route to get there they stop at a creepy old gas station uh, in the original the guy tells him to just drive on through uh, and in the remake the guy sends him into an ambush regardless um, 
The two cars get a breakdown. Yeah, let's let's just pause there for a second. So it really is in the first one, he just is just driving. Now this gas station person does come back, but he's not leading him to his doom. And instead, the car crashes over the stupidest reasons ever. And then the 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 cannibal hillbilly people find the car. And the second one or the remake, it was like orchestrated by the gas station attendant who gets discovered that he is stealing jewels from what you'll find out to be all the people that are. Getting murdered by this family. One gas station attendant is trying to just send them on their way, and they, on their own accord, get off the beaten path in the original. In the the remake, he is a guy that's getting paid for to ambush them. Anyways, they get they get a breakdown in the desert. They uh, have no means of getting their camper out of there, and we get to sort of meet the family here a little bit better. Uh, a little and a little bit better in the remake. Much better in the remake because the as remake in they're like characters goes, with relationships yeah. and people that have met each other before this breakdown and are somewhat <laughs> charming. Like yeah. they actually care about each other, but also hate each other in a way that it feels like a real family. Anyways, so there's uh, Bob the father. Uh, who is a uh, retired cop who's going out to California way to start his security firm business or whatever. And of course, uh, of course, he's the one that wanted to take the trip through the desert because you know how dads are. Mm-hmm. They always want to go through the desert when everyone just wants to get to the beach. You know, dads are a lot like this, Bob, in that they both like the desert. They love it. They, they love, love it. road trips. They love not having maps. <laughs> they love not they love directions. being alive before GPS. <laughs> and they love having several weapons on their person, Oh, they love it. Despite the consent of their wives. Yeah. There's Bob, the father. There's his, uh, there's the Mrs. Mrs. Bob. And there is, they have uh, two daughters on the trip. One is like a teen, like a late teen, like 16 to 18 range, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then one is uh, a married woman with a, a husband named Doug and a baby. Bob and, and uh, Mrs. Bob also have uh, a son. Who's also like 16, 18. They're high school age. So this whole family, they're sort of bickering, whatever, trying to figure out a plan. And then they all the men take the lead, or at least Bob tells the men they're taking the lead. And all the men go off in a separate direction, except for the son is left back home to tend for the family. Bob gets captured. Uh, the kid's dog runs off. One, one of their two German shepherds in both two versions. Dogs. Two dogs, Beauty and Beast. Um, Beauty dies in both versions immediately. Yep. And the kid runs off and finds the dog dead and finds that it is split open and in the most infuriating part of both versions, then just goes back to the camper and doesn't fucking tell anyone until it's way too late. Anyways, we'll get into that. So, Doug finds some bullshit that apparently nobody needs and will become important in the third act. Um, And then... Uh, Bob gets captured, and what happens is the mutants that uh, arrive in the area that set up an ambush for them in the remake. But in the original, they're uh, you know the, the family is just trespassing on their land, and they happen to land in their clutches. Uh, the mutant sense of they set up a mutant ambush on this family. They storm into the camper. They rape the young daughter, the 16, 18 year old daughter. The rape is way more obvious and graphic in the remake. I feel like – I don't even think there was a rape in the original. I feel like it's it like – It felt like they were trying to but then were stopped. 
we'll get to it, but the rape in um, Last House on the Left is like one of the grosser ones I've seen out of these yeah. 70s movies. So I don't, I, I, maybe maybe uh, Wes Craven was sick of talking about rape. So he's like, I gotta get it. I gotta check the box, but I'm not going to make it a whole thing. Maybe I mistook the note or it kind of blended together, but I, I have a special note that they basically don't depict the rape and actually make it seem like they don't even really imply it. It's just he's going for her and then other things happen in the camper and then uh, and then the girl eventually gets away. Like there's there's not even – I mean obviously she's off screen for a little bit, but there's not even like a scene of – you know, someone like unzipping their pants or like this is about to happen and we're cutting away. There's really like none of that. But either way, it's way more graphic and obvious. Uh, the remake. But we'll, we'll get to that. We here's here, talking about rape, right? I um, know. It's like, you know, one of, the, one of the things I'm really like the next podcast we do should be a children's movie podcast because like. Just for once. Yeah, I feel talk about rape. For I feel months. I feel like, yeah, I feel like I need like a notes, not just every other week, but like just every week for a while where it's not like, well, we probably should talk about this rape as kind of has been clued in. I'm up. I really do like the remake, and I don't care for the original much, if at all. However, like, the big stopping point for me, like, recommending The Hills Have Eyes is, like, how gross, horrific, and then, like, also the fact that the movie spends absolutely no time dealing with – like, I, we, let's keep a five-minute limit, but we need to talk about it because it is it is the part that is like, man, this would be great. But this is a really, really shitty part, and... I feel like every other week we talk about how a movie fucks up depicting rape, because 90% of movies Okay, so cut, cut all this out, or at least us talking about whether to talk about it. Well, I'll introduce it as, like, we need to talk about this for two minutes, see every other one of our episodes to hear what we think about this, but I do need to emphasize why this is really shitty and why it, it is the big black mark on this movie. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, uh, the mutants raid the camper and at the same time set Bob on fire attached to a cactus uh, in the remake and then something else in the original. Uh, uh, no, ca- cactus in the original, rock in the remake. There we go. But both uh, are both where he's hung up, like crucified on it and they, yes. and they set on fire. It's not done as a warning. It's done as a distraction. Yep. There's no way you're going to be able to resist your screaming father. The strongest member of your family is screaming screaming out in agony like you're not gonna be able to resist this as long because we're probably not gonna circle back to it i gotta say uh cactus crucifixion greater than the rock one so that's one point in the originals favor i i will have some points in the originals favor i do think that the way that the fire is handled in the remake is so fucking badass because they use like uh old school they use some new school cgi effects but like old school dummies yep and it reminds me of Terminator 2, and it reminds me of, like, RoboCop. It's Here. so... Here's all I'm saying, like Cactus is greater than Rock. That's it. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, so... Uh, then they go back. They take a baby. While this is happening in the camper, yes, the younger daughter is being sexually assaulted, and the, uh, the mother gets murdered. The uh, oldest daughter, Doug's wife, gets murdered, and the baby gets taken. So that leaves the two kids and Doug alive and one of the dogs. Yep. What happens now is the two kids are back home 
Doug has to go fuck by home. You mean the camper in the middle? The camper, of the yeah, home base essentially. Yeah. They set up traps for the mutants at, at home base while Doug goes off on a uh, a quest to hunt down and get his baby back. At the same time, and has been kind of laced throughout the movie, one of the mutant pack is trying to leave this place. She doesn't like the murdering. She doesn't like the cannibalism. She doesn't like any of that shit. She doesn't feel a moral connection to her family. She doesn't feel any of that shit. So she's trying to help save the baby as well. Back and forth battle, and Beast gets two kills on the mutants during this time. So actually- fucking um rules. Yeah, so you're right. So both of them, they go off and try to get his kid back and the woman's telling him. But I think there is a huge difference between the way these two scenes play out that I think is at least we're touching on right now and then we'll get into more detail. So in one, in the West Craven Hills Have Eyes, they're just kind of around a campfire and there's a lot of like pontificating by the patriarch of the group and talking about why they want to eat and kill them while fighting with the daughter who wants to like go away and leave them and all this stuff. And it's kind of boring and shitty. The remake, and I really think this is the remake's uh, best stretch as well as, like, its most genius change and, like, probably most significant change from the original. They go to the – it's not just a bonfire. It's, like, a mutant town that is an abandoned, like, nuclear test town. Like, the kind that you see at the opening of, like, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where it's, like, yes. all the fake families where they're testing the effects. And it's, like, a – almost like an abandoned western populated with more and more disturbing mutant creatures that live in this like hidden community from from everyone that is like for both of the movies a like 30 minute stretch and one of them it's like i was fighting to care or pay attention the movie lost me so much and the other one i was i love it the third act of the original hills of eyes is is trash i think there's yeah. like nothing memorable about it it's just people fucking around in the desert and it feels like an improvised film yeah it doesn't feel like there's any sense of forward momentum it doesn't feel like there's any sense of geography no uh you just feel like you're looking at the same rocks over and over again it's, i'm somebody that loves the desert and i love so life. you when you're a dad you're gonna drive right through that desert I'm going to be this dad. That's actually oh. part of the reason that the movie is – the remake is scary to me is because like even though the remake is shot in uh, Africa, that kind of adds to some of the uh, the power of the visuals because it's a little bit more it dramatic. Looks, and it looks really, really good. The remake is a gorgeous, gorgeous yeah. movie in terms of like visuals. Especially if you like deserts like I just found out Peter does. Yeah, I love love deserts. Just telling Aaron now about this thing that I really love deserts. It can all just look like rocks like it does in the original. It just looks like it's like... Mm. It's like shot in a back lot, it almost yes. feels like. Reminds me of like when on Star Trek when they would have... Oh, like, yeah. They go to that one spot in California for the alien planet. Yes, yes. Certain segments of Planet of the Apes movies where they're just like... Like it has like a sort of like repetitive quality. In The Hills of Eyes remake, it has a sort of like flowing power where you feel Doug going out like on the frontier in this like present apocalyptic wasteland. Like yeah, this, like, really a wasteland because it even has all the craters that he finds with like... Yes. These mini craters of these nuclear test sites, which is like eerie and like he kind of realizes he's on a different planet. Essentially, yeah. So that that whole third act, though, when they find that town, uh, and then and then meanwhile, 
Uh, and this is where the movies kind of sync up again. The younger daughter and and brother are like creating a trap within their camper to when they are besieged again to be able to blow blow up the camper with people inside. Uh, the big twist of the movie is that uh, the big brash mustache, big balls cop dad gets fucking owned in the first act, thus destabilizing both families. Uh, the mother gets killed as well. Both matriarchs of the family, the oldest sister and the mother, both get murdered. Not to derail this this 80-minute recap, but the way the mother dies in – it's another, like, great comparison because in the remake, the mother dies with a fucking shotgun blast trying to save her family. And in the original, the kids don't realize this obviously dead body is dead and, like – are carrying around her mom and put her on a chair to be like, let's set her down so we can make sure she's dead. It is so bad. No, they're setting a trap with the mother. They're using her corpse as a trap. No, but at first they, they're not sure that she's dead. Yeah, I guess there's a sort of like back and forth. Like what if she's still alive yeah. or something? You're like, well, she was murdered like 12 hours ago, guys. Yeah. Let's let's get over it. She has no um, life in her eyes. <laughs> oh, oh. The family sort of gets, uh, in both of them, destabilized by the death of both the matriarchs and the patriarch. And Doug, who's portrayed in the remake, is sort of this, like, ineffectual soft guy, like, you know, millennial man who's, like, a little... He runs, like, a cell phone store or something. Like, he's depicted as, like, not a tough guy. He, like, is is depicted as having this, like, rise to power, And there's a question of whether or not that's a good thing or not, like this rise to bloody violent power. But at least he's like taking over. He's taking action. And the kids are depicted as having to take over the protector roles. Yeah. It's a a flip of the family. It's like what happens when there's a power vacuum. And if you don't fill it in, you're going to die. And so both are about survival. Yeah. To kind of wrap this up, so they the patriarch of the Hills Have Eyes family attacks. They get him into the camper. They blow up. Meanwhile, the uh, the the woman who wanted to escape from the cannibals and both help get the doll back or get the doll, get the actual baby back. I mean, <laughs> tells you how bad the special effects are in the first one. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yes, helps get the baby back. And then in the in the in the <laughs> this is so dumb. But in the original. The twist ending or the surprise ending at the end is that – so the entire time the matriarch of the the camper family has been talking endlessly about rattlesnakes and how there's rattlesnakes out here and how they can kill you. And at the end of at the end of the original Hills Have Eyes, the, the rattlesnake is the thing that kind of ends the movie by uh, biting one of the, the hill people. And in the in the remake, the ending is that he gets the baby back and then it pans out to a scope – uh, looking at Doug, indicating that there is still Hills Have Eyes people out there ready to strike. Very similar to the end of, not to spoil, I guess this doesn't spoil it, but the end of The Crazies, the remake of the Romero movie. Yeah, it's also kind of a, the ending of most horror movies, which is, yeah. nope, they're, they're still there. They're still there, which is like, it's fine. It's fine. Like I, I find it creepy in The Crazies. I find it creepy in this. It's it, it, I find it... Usually annoying in slashers because I'm like, well, you're just like you're withholding a card in case this movie hits it big. Like, I'll tell you what, it's better. It's better than Chekhov's rattlesnake. That is true. That is yeah. true. Yeah. So I um, 
I think, I think we probably made our opinions a little bit clear on this, that I I don't think that the original Hills Have Eyes is a terrible movie. Uh, i never seen it before this, where I had seen uh, the remake. But I, it's definitely not a good movie, and I think it kind of speaks to Wes Craven became a better director later in his career, which we can talk about a little bit. Um, but I think Wes Craven in general is not the greatest director and he kind of lives and dies by premises. So when he has a really good premise, people under the stairs, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, he ends up crafting pretty good movies or great movies, but he's not a John Carpenter who can just take like a concept and say, okay, I have people trapped in a police station. Let me use all of my amazing director tricks to make this a compelling situation just kind of displays a level of incompetence that even someone who loves watching like incompetent grindhouse 70s type horror movies especially about fucking cannibal hill people this movie was boring and not entertaining and just it was it was poorly directed it was poorly acted the story beats go nowhere it it's really a great example of watching the remake about how the exact same content uh exact same like literally almost beat for beat story beats can be made uh compelling with better actors a better script and a better director so that's kind of the bomb i'll throw out at the beginning nothing better than uh, on a horror podcast to be shitting on uh, Craven and praising a, a torture porn movie, but we'll we'll get into that further. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I don't ultimately care because, like, this is something that, like, film fans and horror fans have this, like, sense of purity, I think, a lot of times where, like, you have to think the original is better because the remake is just a cash-in and you have to think that, you know... These people who are, you know, crowned masters of the genre, you know, can do no wrong. But like this guy that, you know, his career didn't go anywhere because, you know, Alexander uh, Aha, uh, his career didn't. No, it's really... Aya. Aya. Alexandre Aya. Yeah. Uh, as much as I love a, like, of his, a lot of his movies, like he's it doesn't look like his career's going many places no um he's still making movies like he, he he surprised me every three years i like horns i liked piranha 3d um mirrors was garbage it's i love like piranha his, it sounds like his new movie isn't that great like the nine lives of louis drac yeah i added it to my queue i'm like i'll give this I'll a watch roll. it because i like his style generally i'm a high tension fan despite the fact that the ending is like one of the mm-hmm. worst endings in horror history um yeah atrocious but i really it's... like the movie anyways because of what it is there's a sort of like protectiveness and a sort of purity yeah. that's in a lot of film fans and a lot of horror fans not all of them but uh obviously not because of us <laughs> it comes with the territory and like i really don't care if people are like annoyed that we're like saying the remake is better but I'm sure there's going to be someone that is annoyed with that. If you got a problem, talk to us on that Facebook group or the yeah. site. I would love to have the discussion further with you. But, like, we're not going to have and hall. And, and we're going to get into it further because it really is. And I, I get it. Like, we've we've talked about on this show that, like, torture porn, which is a phrase neither of us like, or extreme horror, whatever. Like, they, they are, like, the bastard children of the horror community, I think, even today. Um, and this is, this is, like, this is the, like, a pinnacle of, like the type of movie that people were like, look what they're fucking doing because it is remaking a movie, which is a strike one. It's remaking it, um, from a quote unquote master of horror in Wes Craven. Uh, it's remaking at least, uh, what people 
perceived to be an iconic horror classic. You know, the brother in there who's featured on the DVD, like that that picture of him is like the, one of the hill people. So, and has kind of an iconic image in like Michael Berryman's character, you know, has gone on to be in a lot of horror movies as an actor as well. So like, and you have that versus, so, and on top of that, even though this is not a Platinum Dunes remake, it was at a time where like Michael Bay's production company was producing a lot of these horror movie remakes. So this gets lumped into that as well. So you just kind of have strike, 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 strike at this movie when it really is a, it's a really good horror movie it's a really good example of the extreme horror genre and it is it is much improved in like almost scene by scene point by point line by line this takes the concepts of the original and makes them for the most part better yeah i agree i think the original has some bright spots we'll get to them they're kind of buried the original handles character really poorly every single one of the characters in the original minus fred and papa jupiter are uninteresting and are kind of flat and don't have any sort of uh, thrilling performance behind it. There's no like vibrancy to any of the performances. They're all just sort of like flat types that are there to get murdered. So when this annoying family, this family blows, like this family blows gooch. It's just like the fucking worst in the, in the original. There's yeah. this racist, rude ex-cop. Oh, dad. yeah. Like Was I wanted it? him gone. So in the first, so he crashes the car. Which again, it's a stupid. So let's, let's. It's so contrived because he just crashes the car in the desert. He doesn't crash because of the mu- a mutant ambush or anything. No, he just crashes in the desert. So he's driving near jets and being near the noise of jets, like not landing on him, like just a hundreds of thousands of feet above him, past like freaks him out so much that he just starts screaming and like instead of like breaking like a normal person, hitting the gas, um, and then. Like, meanwhile, this is, like, the the dumbest scene ever, like, as a parent, like, uh, you know, there's, like, the baby in the back seat. They're, they're just holding with, with, like, the windows down as they go 100 miles an hour in a desert, not even a road. Like, yeah. just hold on to the baby tight. Is the baby okay? Like, that baby's <laughs> through the windshield, man. Um, but, but anyways, and then he hits a rock. It's just like, what... What the fuck was Remake, that? It's a it's an ambush. It's a yeah. spike. It's a spike tire thing that becomes part of the character lizard's like uh, costume. It's like and then he, it's yeah. part of the final fight. So it yeah. has like a nice like um, it's got an arc. Like a, there's more of a character arc for the tire spike device that lizard throws than any of the characters in the original. Yeah, um, I really do like. Fred in the original more than in the remake. That's the gas station attendant. Um, I think in the remake, is he still Papa Jupiter's father? They never even go into it, which... But I don't really care because the problem with the the original is they spend like a random like 10-minute exposition scene where he runs back into the, the, the gas station attendant in some other shack... Not the gas station. And then they have a 10-minute conversation about where all these people came from. I think the movie has two great monologues. And then you'll disagree with me on both of them. So that's fine. Uh, Fred has a great monologue and that's Shaq. Greg has this amazing monologue where he's just telling you the story. And it's just it's, – it's an exposition dump. But it's delivered so powerfully. Fred has like – cry yelling and he's drunk and he kind of wants to die but also like he's too scared to not live he feels bad for the fact of what he's done to papa jupiter but he fucking hates him too because he's this evil son that he sent out in the desert it's just like this speech of fire and brimstone and 
tears and it, I think it's really powerful and the movie that's that's what I was saying the movie does really isn't really bad at character but it's really great at singular monologues and then Papa Jupiter has a speech that's sort of laying down what I was saying earlier where he's saying like I'm in you're out when he's saying like I'm gonna take down your family and I'm gonna I'm the patriarch of this land I'm the big boy of this land I'm running I'm running the show here uh, Papa Jupiter has this great speech where he's like I'm gonna eat your babies like and all that shit so I think that speaks to one of the big problems with the original though is that like these are just like normal guys <laughs> the remake has them as like these like you know victims of nuclear fallout some are more mutated than other but they really are like these <laughs> they were gen- minor who got nuclear fallout damage like i have no more sympathy for anybody but those people <laughs> yeah but but they are i mean in the in the remake they are like you know there's the guy who like his head is so swollen that he can't can't well i'm sure we'll talk about that because that's such a creepy moment um or like you know people missing parts of their body like it's like the hiroshima pictures and then even like amped up to a horror thing in the original they're just like i don't know just kind of goofy dudes who live out in the desert a and goof like troop, have a, if you will. and have yeah a goof troop they'll always be together best of friends forever it's the theme song to goof troop you're not telling me you're telling the audience right okay yeah i didn't know if you knew i'm familiar aaron thanks yeah okay so so yeah so they are just these goofy guys and i think that makes the whole thing less creepy the, the whole movie the original has such a problem i think um because it really is – it's not this tale of, like, these mutants who, like, prey and feed on people through these traps uh, and the gas station attendant, like, gets gets rewarded by stealing all their money. It's just, like, a weird familial revenge thing that's been going on and it's, like, pontificated on and people keep talking about it. It's way less interesting about why these people are living in the desert and behaving this way. And they've been waiting 40 years to get revenge on the gas station guy. Like, they know exactly where he is. Why does it just happen during the course of this movie? It's that in the original, the gas station guy, they tolerated him because he was in some way off screen in cahoots with them. He was he was saying, I'm not going to help you guys no more. So in, in some sense, we could assume that he has helped ambush previous families, but just not this one. He's drawing the line at this one because he's getting the fuck out of Dodge right now. He's been gathering up his bag of bullets and jewels and money, and he's getting the fuck out of Dodge. So in the original, I really like Fred Ar- Fred's arc because... Fred is this dude who's just like this is this is our land. I'm sticking around here. You know, I I'm, I don't I'm not gonna let my own son that I left in the desert for death and I smashed over the head with a hammer. Yeah, whatever a tire iron. I'm not gonna let him uh, scare me out of this the, this land. And then they like come to like this like distant agreement. Papa Jupiter comes for Fred when he finds out Fred is leaving. That's why Fred gets murdered. Yeah. He's like, no, you're still part of this family. You're still playing a role in this family. You're just a distant end. He doesn't like somebody being able to leave his limits of control. That's also why he's not letting Ruby leave. I just feel like the whole thing with the timing of the family being there is, like, way too contrived. Like, it's contrived and less interesting instead of, like, you know, this family just being another one that that has been led to their doom. And the family in the original has a silver mine or something they have claimed yeah. on. That's why they're going out to the desert with a fucking baby. And the original has, like, just a series of contrived plot movements that don't make any sense. And one of them is Fred is, is the timing of Fred's departure yeah. of the family's arrival. 
asshole. Uh, the family doesn't motivate Fred to leave. Fred already decided he was leaving, and then the family shows up. So it's contrived, but in a way that's not that annoying. In the, in the remake, they do something better, where it's like, because the family decides to fight back, this is a big event. So Fred just yeah. sends them along the way like they're any other family, but this happens to be the end for Fred. Yeah, and in the original, even, even their outfits, like... They're oh, yeah. they're 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 just wearing like Indian like a Native American garb that's like that's moccasins. it and moccasins and they kind of whoop around and they live in like tents by the like it's so it's it, it's amazing if it's anything offensive I think in its own way it's offensive but it's honestly mean this is like a a surprise thing that a movie that, movies that are this similar can be like this different in quality yeah they both have a bit of a problematic issue. But surprisingly, very different issues. The original's problematic issue is that they're playing off native savagery as like colonial myth of the native savage as their their sort of thing, and that's um that's because the original story Wes Craven based it off of this idea, this uh, myth or maybe historical fact. We don't really know that there was this Scottish family of cannibals that were like highwaymen that would they killed like upward of a thousand people, and then one of the King James's uh, wiped him out and uh, used it as propaganda to say that you know. Uh, the Scots are all like these ruthless animals that live off the land and they'll eat your they'll eat your babies and shit. So whether or not it was a real event or not, that's what Wes Craven based it off of. And Wes, that's sort of like while living off the land matched with like these people are sort of like Native American types. Like they they have like jeweled headdresses and shit sometimes like that. That's offensive in its own way. And then. In the remake, what's offensive in its in its own way is the freak show aspect. It, it's, it's scared of the genetic people with genetic deviation. The fact that they want you to be scared of the little girl that says like "hello" in the the family house in the little village is was kind of offensive to me. I thought it was just the idea that all this shit is going on with these two like kids playing next to them and then all of a sudden like the camera pans over to to see like there's these two uh kids also suffering from the radiation effects who have just been playing nicely or like hi but it was done as a horror moment because i remember the trailer specifically had this girl with a, a mutated face going it's like, it's a i think it's a play dark with us or you want to play with me uh, I think it's a very darkly comic moment where it's just that there's like there's still shit that he's not even realizing that's there. So I agree with you that there's something majorly offensive problem with the remake, which is while I, I think it's a very good movie and recommend worthy, it is definitely something that I would, you know, if we were throwing out the baby, baby in the bathwater, I would throw out this movie. I'm, I'm just going to say so we kind of mentioned it. There's a there's a rape of the younger daughter. We. We have to Which talk. Serves about no purpose other than shock. No, to it be doesn't. Honest. It doesn't. There's no reason she has to be raped. There's no. no reason. And we and we talk about that a lot in this show. So we're not going to spend a ton of time going into why that's a problem. Listen to unfortunately many of our recent episodes because when you, as we say many times, when you do a lot of horror movies, what you really find is how prevalent this is as a as a lazy tactic to instill fear. But really, why it's a problem? It's a, it's an extremely graphic rape scene to really try to get into the extreme. Poor Roots, it's one of the reasons why I can understand why people don't like some of these movies. Uh, and then it also, you know, it's trying to up the trauma and the and the fear that's going on. That scene where they're in the camper is chaotic and 
scary without that. There's yes. fucking people pointing guns at babies while, like, people are getting shot, destroyed. The camera work is amazing. Like, it adds nothing to that scene as a as a ten minutes of pure horror chaos. Instead, it detracts because it's like, why did you do this when you had all this perfect stuff around it? And then the other thing and the last thing I'll say about it, why it's so frustrating – is if if the other reason they did it, which is to add trauma or seriousness to uh, the daughter's life uh, that will play out later in the movie. Instead, no one ever talks about it again. No one ever mentions it. And then they spend about the next 30 minutes in the movie picking up the, their dead parents' bodies and moving them into cars to be buried later. Like, hey, guess what, movie? You found the perfect fucking traumatic moment to instill the seriousness (laughs) to these kids is literally picking your dead dad and mom and dragging them across a little portion of the desert to be put on top of each other in a fucking car to be hopefully buried later. It's not just that it's lazy and shitty. It's that really everything that you could possibly be trying to accomplish in that scene, as exploitative as it is, is accomplished better by everything around it. And instead, it just is like, well, it's a great example of extreme horror movie. But yeah, no, five minutes are enough to throw it out for a lot of people. And I can understand that. In the trailer, there's enough traumatic incident going on. And as well, the bearing of the family is enough of a traumatic incident. Also, like, how much better would it be if Papa Jupiter made a little pop-in, especially in the remake? Because Papa Jupiter is kind of a nothing in the remake. He's he's the uh, yeah. Billy Drago. He's the dude that uh, doesn't look that mutated compared to the rest nope. of his family. Which makes sense because uh, genetic mutation is usually doesn't happen in your own life. It usually yeah. happens to your children because fetuses are, like I said in the game before this, fetuses are very susceptible to nuclear radiation poisoning. Mm-hmm. The Billy Draco is like looks semi normal. I mean, he's like a feral dude, but like yeah, uh, he he looks like Bob from Twin Peaks in the remake. Exactly, he's this sort of he's he's got a sort of like living on the land quality, but he's like an old guy. Mm-hmm. So he's been like hard living for a long time, and he he doesn't have any lines. Like, how much better would it be if instead of a sexual assault, we got to actually see Papa Jupiter pop in the trailer and just be like kill them all or give a fucking great monologue like Papa Jupiter gets in the original movie. You think that's a great... But... Uh, I think there's two great monologues oh. in the original movie and most of the dialogue is garbage. I okay. think I think, I think think Wes Craven got like a little, little fire in his belly for like 30 second spurts and then he wrote these great these great monologues and then like anytime that any two humans had to interact as like human beings, he was like I don't know, let's do... But what about the affected voice that Papa Ju- Jupiter does in the original? It's so good. It's like a fucking like prospector oh slash like it's like a it's cowboy so villain. It's so good. It's so it's bad. Like, I'm in. You're out. Like the. That's a better voice than Papa Jupiter does in the movie. Thank you. I will go back in a DeLorean to uh, to out audition. Yeah. Also, Jupiter. give him give him some notes from the remake. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just bring a DVD of the remake and just be like, do that. Um, yeah. They'll be able to play that. Good thinking, Peter. <laughs> Get a reel to reel. That's like a that's like a fucking Rick and Morty bit, like going back in time and handing someone a DVD of a better movie and be like, just make this one earlier, and then nobody knows what to do with it because it's a DVD. Um, <laughs> I'd like to see what the remake looked like then. Yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, so we're not going to talk about that anymore, just because we we we're sick of talking about it too. It doesn't mean it's not important to mention. It doesn't mean it can't. It really understandably could sink this movie from other people. It's garbage. I wish it wasn't in there, but we've just if we hadn't said it so much recently, we'd probably go through the whole thing again about why it's shitty to do that. But ninety percent of movies do rape scenes wrong. And maybe 90% of those movies are doing it by having a rape scene. <laughs> yep. Like, I think almost no movies actually should have a rape scene in it. But anyways. Yeah, this one's just really bad because it adds nothing. And they don't even pretend that it's it has an effect at any other point after it's done. Let's talk a bit about the photography between the two movies. Yeah, let's do it. I, I touched on this. Uh, with Both the- use cameras. They both use cameras. Honestly, like we've been criticizing Wes Craven a little bit. Great decision, though. I think that if he had decided to not use a camera, we may have never even seen the movie. I agree. And do you think if he had not used a camera, do you think uh, when Alexander uh, – Alexandra? No, I'm forgetting. Alexand? Alexander? Uh, Aya? Um, You're there, baby. Uh, yeah, I got it. Bring it home. Director Aya, do you think that he would have not used a camera mm. to really I, match what Wes Craven did? There's <laughs> there's a backlash to digital photography, and I totally get why in some senses. Because, like, yes, while there's all these advantages to production, you can shoot cheaper, shoot more footage, all that. It does sometimes lose some of the texture and the feel. It is amazing to me that the remake shot, you know, 30 years later, basically, has more of the magic of a exploitation, grindy, Texas Chainsaw Massacre style movie in certain scenes. And also a sort of like a more beautiful and a classical sort of conventional set sense photography in other scenes than the original captured in any sense. The original is shot on film, but it looks like dog shit. It looks like video. And I watched an HD version, like a re- like yeah. I didn't watch like some bad SD copy. I did too. I watched I watched an HD and I watched Hills of Eyes 2006 on a DVD. Standard definition. You should really see it. Like I, I watched the Blu-ray and it looks amazing. I would imagine. You know why? It's because DVDs do brights at least closer to Blu-ray than uh, darks. So many great scenes of like the bright, hot desert sun. So the glimmer and the glistening and the dynamic like colors or browns and tans and stuff like that really come through, I think, DVD or or Blu-ray. That's well put, Aaron, because there's like a sort of um, color palette to the remake that allows it to at times look like this like present apocalyptic movie with these expansive landscapes and wide shots but also when he needs to get into it and get grindy and get gross like an instance where Doug is locked in a meat locker with a bunch of corpses oh man I love that scene even though the remake is also produced by Wes Craven I feel like Aya liked Texas Chainsaw Massacre more than Hills of Eyes so much more so the last act is so much more TCM than it is Hills of Eyes yeah the last act is Texas Chainsaw Massacre and done really well Um, I never saw the Platinum Dune uh, remake. Um, I don't know if I should. I know. I feel like they've remade Texas Chainsaw Massacre three times in the last six years. Um, they just keep doing like reboots, side quotes. But I think there's actually two like just straight remakes. And I think they did a sequel that was like still named Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. I don't know. Who can keep up? 
I've seen one of them that's a that's a okay, and that's the 2003, 2004, 2005-ish one. Yeah, that's the Platinum Dunes one. Yes, I've seen that one, and I confirm that it's good, but it loses a lot of the sort of live wire. Yeah, there was one energy. from 2013. That's weird and probably awful, right? It's got 13% on the old tomato meter. Wow. Well, people love the Friday the 13th remake, right? Yeah, and then there was a... So, so like, the yeah, I, I, one where he uses, like, tunnels and shit? Don't people really like that? I haven't seen it. Oh, I really like it. It's it's my favorite um, yeah. of the non-Friday... Minus Jason X, and uh, Jason X is actually my favorite, but uh, Friday the 13th is the best, like, straight one. Yeah, so there was a Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003, and then there was a Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Beginning, which was a prequel to the remake in 2006, and then there was a sequel to the original in 2013 called just texas chainsaw 3d so this is like from a tradition like at a time when people were very sick of remakes because there was a, a confluence of events there was the platinum dunes remakes of all these classics and nightmare on elm street got one as well like there's these th- one of the only movies i've ever turned off yeah, there's a confluence of classic slasher get movies getting remade. Halloween, which the Rob Zombie yeah. Halloween movie, which I actually my, really my bloody Valentine, like yes. Black Christmas. I mean, you name a, a horror movie, it was remade. Weirdly enough, people say they like the Black Christmas remake. I need to see it. People say that it's good. But I remember, we were it. described the plot and we're like, that sounds like garbage. It does sound like garbage, doesn't it? And then, like the Halloween remake, I like the first half, but not the second half. And the first half is a fucking origin story for Michael Myers. So I don't really know what to think about these remakes or like The Ring, I think is much better than Ringu. I feel like that's a whole different trend, which was like The Grudge and The, the Japanese and one. But the like, ja- yeah. where, they, where they remade like Japanese horror movies for an American audience. Pulse and Grudge. And a lot of those were like really, really, the remakes were really, really bad. So I don't really know like what, like how to, like I know why people hated these remakes, but I don't really know why people stopped giving them chances because there were good ones in there. So I, I even think that though, like the ones that people now talk about liking, which is like the My Bloody Valentine and, um, and this movie. Because this movie actually does have a lot of fans now. Uh, and the Friday the 13th one, I don't feel like anyone was saying it at the time. It was such a, we are just sick of this and we don't want it anymore. And when you're a horror fan or any kind of genre fan, basically whatever the trend is, they just keep making a bunch of those. And so we're, we're in a really cool trend right now where everyone is trying to do like, uh, you know, uh, the Babadook and... And it follows, you know, indie horror is like the big trend right now, which is great because it's like, let's take these weird ideas and make them, you know, make some interesting movies. So you have like The Witch and it follows and uh, it's not the same movie over and over, but it's like the same ethos and the same uh, aesthetic or idea of like, let's make small budgets and let these directors with interesting ideas make movies. But, you know, I've talked about it before. Where I was sick of, like, when The Sixth Sense was big, it felt like every other movie was these PG-13 ghost movies for a while. After that trend, it became everything was a remake of 80s horror movies. So, it's not till later in a lot of these horror movie trends, sci-fi movie trends, like, specific genre trends that you're able to kind of go back for the most part and say, oh, actually, yeah, there was 30 of these and... 25 of them were terrible, but these five are actually really good. So the remake thing, I'm over it. You're either going to judge movies on a case-by-case basis or you're not. Yeah. 
So moving on from there, I was excited about this movie in 2006 because I was a big fan of High Tension. I showed yeah. High Tension to all my friends and I said, the ending's a little wonky, but at that time we were used to bad shock endings. So like it actually hit softer then than now. <laughs> like, I agree. When I, I saw it when it came out and it was like, it was kind of like, oh, okay, it's Fight Club, but all right. I mean, I like Fight Club. Yeah. Every movie back then had those, those fucking shock yeah. endings. So I was just like, eh, it's, it's fine. You know, we found this one. When we kind of did our double trouble month, uh, which was these movies. When you're talking about them, we're, we're, you're not going to get the same deep dive that we normally do because it, it tends to be a lot more comparing and contrasting. And I'm I'm fine with that. Um, I think I think that's it's interesting to talk about how these movies you know came to be. I think it's interesting to talk about uh, the stuff that we like that one does better than the other because. You know, it's it's fine to have an off-format episode every once in a while. Uh, and I think – I don't know how much these movies – I mean, one of the reasons we decided to pair them up in the first place is that even though I, I really like one version, I don't know how much these really – really. I think we'd be stretching a deep dive on, on even just one of these movies. Uh, I think that we could give the remake its fair due, but I think that it's good to step in when they're so close together. Yeah. We talked a lot, I think, about why the original didn't work in some poor choices. I, I want to keep going into some really good moments of the remake. Some, maybe just some stuff that we touched on that we'd like to get a little deeper. And then we can kind of, you know, do some scenes some final thoughts and wrap up. Kill Billy's month. Let's uh, something we kind of talked about that I'd like to dive a little deeper. The family feels like a real family, which is such a critical thing. It sounds obvious, but it's a critical thing for later on when there's chaos for it to feel like, you know, they are they are sad that people have died. That this is a real loss. That um, when they're kind of picking themselves up by their bootstraps to get revenge or get their baby back or keep them safe. It's something that is done with, you know, not just like, well, I guess I'll do this next because that's what the script says. Looking at you, original. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, but really, like, there's, there's a pain that everyone went through. And this movie has this great scene, I think, where the mom and the two daughters are just having a conversation about college and what they want to do when they grow up and, you know, their lives and stuff like that. And, you know, it goes on for like five minutes and it's just, you know, it, it really feels like a lived in family having a conversation after they get, you know, stuck somewhere on a vacation that's not going right. Uh, and then uh, the younger brother, Bobby, comes in and he adds to the family dynamic and that that sounds like such a basic thing, like, oh, in this this crazy horror movie with all these gross out stuff. Uh, sure, yeah, the family seems like a family because it, it's the easiest thing to skip in these movies, right? Like, you're you're gonna have your kills, you're gonna have your gore moments, you're gonna have your jump scares, you're gonna have your legitimately creepy images. What you don't always have is like three dimensional characters. And this one has it and slows down the movie for, you know, 10 minutes to let the characters breathe and show what their dynamic is like. I agree. I, and especially you mentioned that they give a small moment to each sort of interaction to have, you know, Bobby interact with the mother, to have the daughters interact. The reason the remake I really like is because, like, I see a weird version of I, I came from a family of four. 
Uh, I see a weird version of my family. In yeah. This. My dad is not Bob. My dad is much Your dad's softer not Ted and Levine? nicer guy than Bob. He's not Ted Levine. My dad's a much softer, nicer dude than Bob. But I saw like little ticks in them that I could sort of like put a transparency of my own family over. The oldest daughter, I saw a bit of my oldest sister in. I saw a bit of myself in Bobby. Um, I saw a bit of both of my brother-in-laws in Doug. Like there's a there's like a relatableness in the remake that they put the legwork into that makes yeah. it feel like a modern family. They have Eric Stone Street. <laughs> Eric Stone Street. Do we want to talk about how there's a thing that horror fans say that I don't really, I've never understood? You don't have to like the characters. You're just there to watch them yeah. get murdered. I don't, I don't necessarily understand that for, maybe that's why I'm not like super into slashers is because like usually I like to like the character. Yeah, of course. And I, I actually agree with that statement that you, it's true, but there's a reason why like I'm only watching Friday the 13th part three once. Oh, there were some inventive moments, and that was goofy fun. You know, three stars, I'll never think about it again. As opposed to, like, why I like Nightmare on Elm Street or why I like Halloween, because they have characters that you're relating to. So it's not just – you can make a watchable horror movie with some good moments that you'll remember without good characters, but you're not going to make a truly great horror movie. The remake puts Doug at its center – because the movie is secretly about Doug as this sort of sheltered city boy who uh, falls into savagery and it asks the question of whether or not that was a good thing or if that was just something that he rose to. Uh, there, are, There's one part in the movie where I think they think it's a good thing because they give a Grindhouse Tarantino-esque guitar cue yeah. when Doug gets a kill. That's not, not a great in, moment. In, and then at the end of the movie, when they show Doug getting a kill, it's it's almost like portrayed as like a sad thing. Doug should have his hands clean here. But the movie is set up as a family drama first, and they decide that Doug is a more interesting character than no character. And they make an interesting – they make hay out of it. They make lemonade. I think you're entirely right on Doug. But I think another very interesting and good choice they make, uh, especially in those early scenes – is they really understand what it's like to be surrounded by a family and for you to be the outsider. The husband of of one of the daughters of this family, like you are the son-in-law, you are the brother-in-law. And even if even if you get along really well with the family, which for the most part I, I would say Doug does, besides some gentle uh, ribbing by the father – it's still when you go on like family trips and people are sharing stories and have like a shorthand, it's hard not to feel a little bit like you're the one that doesn't belong. You know, one of these things is not like the other on, on a lot of occasions. So the fact that they do that with him and then, and then isolate him at the end of the, of this movie to kind of saved, um, not just the literal, his literal daughter, which obviously he wants to save, but also kind of the representation of like what's left of this family. Um, and he has to kind of do that on his own after after a lot of other people in the family are no longer there to do that because you don't need to do that when you're the bonus person. Like you're not the defender of the family name. You're not the the person who's – you know, you, you kind of get to sit back and let the family do the family thing. And instead, he is like forced out of necessity to be the only one left to save what's left of this family. I agree entirely. And – 
it captures the asymmetrical relationship that he has with individual members of the family. So Bob is very antagonistic. Bob wants Doug to know his fucking place. Like, Bob's like, I'm the patriarch of this family. There's a line, I think maybe in both movies, why didn't we fly to California? And he said, well, because they wouldn't let Bob fly the plane. Bob is this, this... He's Clark Griswold. Yes. And he's more, that's, yeah, exactly. This is National Lampoon's nuclear test site vacation. And it, and it makes more sense in the remake because Bob is somewhat charming in the remake. They give moments of sweetness between yeah. where you're like, he's a dad that genuinely loves the family. And he's kind of busting balls with the son-in-law like a lot of dads do with son-in-laws, you know? There's just that element of like, okay, you're fine, but you're not one of us, really. But it's fine. Yes. It's fine that you married my daughter. I'm glad she loves you. But, you know, you can't even shoot a gun. And then he's laughing. With, with the original, Bob is just an asshole that has no connection to everyone, and he's dropping N-bombs and complaining about black people and saying about how yeah. dumb women are in the first 10 minutes. For no reason, there's just a monologue. Yeah, he crashes the car and just starts complaining about black people and women. Like, that's it. And, like, in the original, they're, like, it's like they want you to dislike the family, and that doesn't work. No. If you want us to dislike this family and think they're shitheads, what you have to do is start endearing us to the mutants who are just defending their land. Instead, they make the mutants monsters through and through. They give uh, Mars, like, shark teeth and a shitty curly wig. Yeah. That's the mutation that they Isn't have. Is it even a mutation? Like, I know it's sort of... It's just so lazy. He's supposed to look like a wild man. Yeah. And it's so lazy. But anyways. But yeah, they were the remake, they understand. We need to sympathize with one of these families. And weirdly enough, the torture porn movie is more humanistic towards the mutants than the original. Like, it depicts the mutation with a much more graphic like viscerally disturbing quality because it resonates with stuff you see in real life basically they're they're depicting these like these people sort of as large versions of people with born with genetic mutations like it's a very disturbing sort of mutation in most of them all the second generations papa jupiter is pretty much okay because papa jupiter and the the misses who don't the mother kind of disappears from the movie if i'm not mistaken right yeah those two seem more or less okay it's everybody else below them their kin that that has the genetic problems the movie has like a sort of like pitiful uh, look at it it's it's exploitive for sure but it's sort of like isn't it sad that these people ended up that way? They definitely want you to feel that way about Ruby. And that's my biggest problem with the movie is I think that the movie needed to have uh, some of the freaks, quote unquote, get out with Doug. Like, I wish Doug became the patriarch of both families and Doug took the kids yeah. and Ruby with and became at the end of the movie. I wish Doug had both his little kids and Beast and his own baby and Ruby. And he was like, we're getting the fuck out of here. Like, uh. this land is a poison land. Like, I wish that there was, I wish that Doug becoming the patriarch of both families became like an unexpected byproduct because Jupiter was trying to take over both families Doug had to step in when the war happened. He had to take responsibility yeah, for the war. I just I don't So the original has a more triumphant ending than the remake. I still think that the remake's ending is better, not just for not having the dumb rattlesnake, but also so much shit has gone down. I don't I, I feel like a triumphant ending in any way would ring false to me. Like when when Doug is just literally drenched in blood, there's just you know, how are they going to get out of here? Like, they're, they they don't have cell phone receptions. They're in the middle of nowhere. All this family's dead. Where are they going to walk to? 
you start asking little questions, but you feel like at least they're not being hunted anymore. This movie is so, I think, appropriately like disturbing on every level, and I think it's effective at it. A triumph would ring a little false to me, I think, at the end of this. But I just need the movie to be like, hey, violence in people with genetic disabilities isn't a inherent trait. It's something that was taught to them by an angry asshole yeah. named Papa Jupiter. I would like if the movie had more of that. I think that that's pretty clear. I don't like that Ruby has to be the fucking sacrificial lamb. But, I, I, but Ruby big, at least got to walk out with them. But Big Brain, which is the character's name with the who's like incapacitated on the wheelchair, he kind of walks them through that. It's actually a little too on the nose for me where he kind of walks through like you guys did this to us and you've left us behind and now we are leaving families behind and he kind of lays out that there, there is a not just an element of that they're they're smart that they're for the most part considerate but also that this is this is still driven by an element of revenge although unlike unlike in the original it's not a revenge against the the former patriarch of the family uh the gas station attendant but a revenge against society in general for doing this to them so i i think that's there and i really like that scene i really like the um the kind of lex luther of the family i love that shock moment where they hear a noise and he like he like is also not just like doing his bond speech but then he's he kind of says or maybe I'm just distracting you because it's breakfast time and then Pluto busts through the door. That's that's a really great moment. But I think in that moment, too, you have Big Brain kind of outlining, like, what their family's ethos is. They're not, like, murderous zombie savages that are just doing this. They're doing it as revenge for that they've been left behind in this abandoned nuclear test site. They are society's fallout. Yes, exactly. But I feel like there's a circle of violence going on. And it would be more narratively satisfying if Ruby got to break out of the circle violence uh, instead of just becoming a sacrificial lamb and if somehow the kids found a path out of the circle of violence instead these kids it sounds like especially with the, the binoculars ending the kids are doomed to repeat the same cycle again and again which is better as a um, horror ending yeah and it sets it up for a sequel, which they did make a – we should note, I think – Yeah, they have a 2007 sequels. one. Wes Craven did one after um, after Nightmare on Elm Street to the original. And uh, they're both loathed. Well, Wes, Wes Craven uh, decried the sequel. He, like, disowned it, even though he's the director of the one that he directed. But then Wes Craven and his son wrote the sequel to the remake – and that one is like, people hate it. Both of them had a chance to be good. They're both about like the military coming in and there being a whole new generation. So I would gladly give up the sequels if either of them had a sense of like, okay, this shit is done. These kids are going to get a chance to live not under this violent patriarchy where, you know, cannibalism is the way and, you know, you're surrounded by murderers all day. Yeah. Like, uh, it doesn't have to be the way that I said, because the way I said is admittedly also patriarchal. The idea of Doug just becoming the father, but like finding a new twist on that so that these I don't have to leave this movie being like, so are those kids just going to starve in the desert? Because, like, I don't want that to happen. Uh, no, I think they're going to eat the other kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, is that the implication? I think so, because... And then they kind of pre they kind of show that because it's a big town. I mean, it is it is like maybe four square blocks, and the kind of pivoting to see the kids is basically indicating, oh yeah, there's there's more than just there's people there that you're not really seeing. 
And then obviously the ending reinforces that, that basically all of the all of the hill people that we've seen have been killed. But there's clearly someone else with binoculars uh, addressing the situation. So, I, you know, I think the ending is that the cycle of violence continues, that the, the triumph wasn't a triumph. There's still more people left behind by society. We're uh, using the metaphor that they are they're trying to use and they're going to keep coming back for these people, which obviously I think would work terribly if it was spelled out but as an implication and a lazy twist i think it's fine it works for me okay see what you're saying i just i think extreme horror movies if any if i was to pick a genre that sometimes triumph feels wrong it'd probably be that genre just because everyone goes through so much shit it's like it might be better if things if if this is all over there's some nihilism in a lot of these extreme horror movies that sort of pervades them going to therapy for me to get actual closure because that's the only logical next step is that all these people go to therapy for the next 20 years of their life that i mean which is a great plot I already said the two monologues that okay. I love, but the original movie has everything that I love about redneck horror, but I really don't like the original movie. Maybe I yeah. like it a hair more than Aaron because I like two monologues in it, and I think Papa Jupiter and Fred are better in the original. Let's just kind of go through the list because this is the capper on another month of Kill Billies. Let's, let's go through it. Okay. Uh, it's got an outlandish, pulpy backstory. Mm-hmm. Both of them are about, like, these people that were living out on the land. And in the original, there's this, like, family drama. And, like, the grandfather hit the Papa Jupiter in the face with a tire iron. And there's radiation poisoning. And there were miners. And this is pulpy, gross backstory that has, like, layers and layers of lore. Uh, And both families are diverse. So there's, like... A little girl. The mutants generally look differently. In the remake, they blow that up. Yeah. Me looking for, like, diversity and what kinds of rednecks I'm getting is, like, way more blown yeah. up in the remake. They got the, the cute remake. one. It's way more- They got the bad boy. Yeah. They got the older guy. They got the whatever. What are the other two archetypes for boy bands? Uh, the fat one. There's a fat one. The smart one. Mm. The one with alopecia. Yeah, that guy is that guy hits the high notes for him. Uh, and the one guy that actually does all the writing, and so they can't keep him off camera technically. Yeah, and then Sporty Spice. And then Sporty Spice. So yeah, the family's diverse with this internal drama. There's like a culture and a drama between the, the families. That is actually way more in the original. Like the family like has more infighting than in the remake. The remake isn't concerned with that, so that's fine. There's a cool setting. I like Redneck Horror with a cool setting. Eaten Alive, one of my biggest problems with it is that Eaten Alive has uh, a swamp setting that doesn't use the swamp to any real effect. There's a plan, a motive, even if it's just to survive. Like, not just Mad Men in the wilderness. Like, I like that um, in Hills of Eyes original, they're mad at society. In the remake, they're mad at society for a different reason. Survivalist mechanics. So, like, the movie's, like, very much like Deliverance, like the Two movies are both both concerned with, like, people surviving both the land and the threats and inventive kills. So, like, both of them, are there any, like, redneck tropes I'm missing here? Like, I, I, I'm i not really in it for, like, the bad southern accents, but I love bad southern accents. No, I the core of a lot of these redneck horror movies is this idea that they're not just, like, killing a family. They're killing the representation of a society that's moved on without them. Yes, exactly, exactly. These are uh, errant... Uh, outsiders to to the way that you know respectable society goes, which which also shouldn't be mocked. Like I really love the idea of which Deliverance does really well, which we talked about last year, which I think the remake does really well. Of these are people 
not just like holding on to older age of society, but are like forcibly and angrily left behind by a society that does not give a shit about them. And as a result, they need to fight back, you know, in deliverance, them paving over the river and the lifeblood of the community. Or here it's like they did nuclear tests on the place where these people lived and told them to get out. And if they didn't, they didn't give a shit because they figured the evidence would be destroyed. And that that really is at the core of a lot of these, these redneck horror type movies where it's not just that these are some backwoodsmen who don't like society. It's that society has rejected them, has made them outcasts, and they are surviving in the only way they know how. Oh, if they run into the society that, that left them for dead, violence and a natural concussion of two worlds is going to, com- is going to occur. I think that this month we've tried to, as opposed to last year, we only had one episode, I think, addressing it. I think this month we've tried to, with this and last week's episode, sort of bring it around to talk about, like, why people get become outsiders and why people end up living on the land and why a lot of us uh, city folk end up looking down on them in an unfair way and why these horror movies come from that sort of place of, like, uh, you go out in a place that is not maybe necessarily laid out for you and the towns all look the same to you because you don't know the culture and the space wasn't made for you the culture that you're used to has moved on from you know towns and communities and cultures like this and so you feel a sort of like weird prejudice towards these people living out in the land or whatever and i think these movies are completely exploiting and preying off of that fear and it is interesting sometimes when they have something to say about that fear and they turn it back on us and the hills of eyes remake is weirdly enough becoming more poignant now that nuclear war is actually something that like is being talked about in the media and i actually had anxiety for the past couple weeks about us getting nuked i live on the west coast like maybe i'm being dumb but like i actually had legitimate fear that we were going to get nuked. It is never something I've ever had to consider. And so even if it is just those moments of like panic, when leaders that have nuclear weapons are talking about using nuclear weapons, I feel like it's appropriate to at least get somewhat anxious. I appreciate that because in order to keep a nuclear arsenal, you will very often have to either transport these weapons, which means you're running the risk of accidental explosions and accidental nuclear radiation leaking. Read the book Command and Control. It's an amazingly well-researched book, and it will make you terrified of us ever having a single nuclear weapon because incidents happen all the time. And two, if you have nukes and you're using them in a manner that suggests that you're going to use them, that implies that you might get nuked. The movie weirdly got more relevant. Like in 2006, no one was talking about nuclear radiation except for overseas. They were talking about like maybe the Iraqis have like one nuke hidden in a basement somewhere and we never found that basement. We're still looking. Yeah. And now we have a country that yeah. wants to kill all of us that has uh, yeah. nukes that work. And so, like, the movie's got creepy relevance in recent years since I... Well, yeah, and it, it's worth noting that it opens with a credit scene of nuclear explosions. And the and the, it does the Dawn of the Dead thing where... And also, I guess, you know, just the historical John Waters, yeah. Martin Scorsese thing where it's an ironic use of a pop song. Yeah. But it does the Dawn of the Dead thing where it uses archival footage. Yeah. Carrie, 
maybe you can get a job making horror movies in 2006. A little side gig. Because um, <laughs> uh, the, the Dawn of the Dead, Tales of Eyes thing where they were just like, let's find a lot of creepy old footage and just make that the opening. Yeah. Uh, it works really well. well. It works well here, too. I mean, it, it does. Yeah. It it's... works really well, doesn't it? Yeah. Because the past is terrifying. Yeah, the, the past is terrifying, because especially because we haven't learned from it. <laughs> um, In no way, shape, or form. No. So, so yeah, so that I think that's a good cap run this month. I mean, I, I think we made it clear. I'm sorry to the Wes Craven fans. Um, I would have felt really bad doing this episode, like, two years ago, um, when he had recently passed. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I mean, I love Scream. I love the people under the stairs. I love the first Nightmare on Elm Street. I love New Nightmare. I love the third Nightmare on Elm Street, which he which he wrote at the very least. I mean, he is a master of horror in that he has left a, com- a completely indelible mark on horror with both, you know, uh, Ghostface from the Scream movies and, and uh, Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street. But he just he he made a lot of garbage and he just wasn't as good of a director as some of his peers like the Stuart Gordons and the John Carpenters who could who could spin uh, simple premises or even bad premises into, at the very least, um, inventive gold. I think that's a good point. I think the original thing that you have to give it credit for, especially referring to, is that I do think it's iconic. I do think it's a classic. I do think it's influential, but I also think it's bad. Yeah. I think it's all of those things. It definitely helped get a generation of filmmakers into film. I think it helps, uh, you know, keep filmmakers that are already working in film thinking like, oh, I want to make something kind of like wild like this. Not in the same sense that I think like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre or a much more superior, um, you know, live wire you know, rough and tumble exploitation movie. With, I thought you were talking about the know. Pierce Brosnan vehicle Livewire. Is there a Pierce Brosnan movie? I'm pretty sure. Well, I thought you were like not like a live wire. Like what? I was not referring to that. I meant barbed wire, the Pamela Anderson movie. Let's check it out. <laughs> but I think it's all those things. I think it's a movie that clearly inspired a generation of people. It's clearly very important to a lot of people. A lot of people throw it in as like a Wes Craven, like true yeah. classic, like alongside you know Nightmare on Elm Street and such movies that I really love like serpent in the rainbow i disagree with that i just think that it's a movie that needs to be brought up in horror discussions purely as a part of the history very much like uh last house on the left i think it's a movie that needs to be brought up as part of the history it helped drive conversations about horror movies it helped drive perceptions of horror movies for the public that you know not even fans but it i don't think either of them are particularly successful films in that vacuum yeah i agree i mean it's it is iconic uh, yes. and bad, and that's fine. And the remake takes clearly what are the bones of a good story and improves it. I think in every conceivable way, minus one element that they, which is always the most regrettable part of where these extreme horror movies take take a plunge, is like, well, if we're really going extreme, we gotta put a rape in there. And like, I feel like they say it in that tone because the way they treat it is always hot. Garbage. All right. Enough of that. <laughs> so this, this has been a lot of fun. We are going to be back next year uh, for another Kill Billies Volume 3. And we'll also be back next week for a new month that I'm very excited about called uh, Guest Request Month. So we've got a lot of requests from people that have appeared on the show or people that have wanted to appear on the show for movies that um, that they would love to cover. And after about a year and a half of trying to figure out, well, could we do a month where we do this? Then what else would we, we would do? We were like, hey, how about instead we just do Guest Request Month where we take those movies that have been requested 
and do a month with those guests. So we are very excited. Uh, so next week it starts with, uh, with uh, f- for her third appearance, Bridget Taylor, who uh, is actually the inspiration for Guest Request Month. She had requested Pump Up the Volume very early, and I was very excited to do it because I would seen it in high school and uh, and really liked it. So that'll be next week. I'm very excited for that one. Uh, and that'll be followed up the following week by a movie that I've never fucking heard of until now. Uh, but Liz, uh, Liz Lundberg, who... Uh, it was on who's on a couple episodes of this show. This will be her third appearance as well. And also on our spinoff we released a couple weeks ago, Pod's Not Dead, one of the hosts there, uh, will be joining us talking about some fucking 2016 Pierce Brosnan movie called Urge. I don't know anything else about it. Yeah, I have no idea what it is. Don't know anything else. I'm really excited to see Pierce Brosnan uh, in another wacky post bond role i will say this like liz liz really has her her finger on the pulse of like these movies that no one's ever heard of but are fascinating to her so i'm very excited to, for like a pick like this because I, i'll say how she said it so we she she had had a couple other ideas and changed them and then it was one of those oh wait i got it of course urge and we're like oh, oh okay and that was like three weeks ago, and she hasn't changed it. So. No, and, so but she did that. Confident. She did like the head smacking thing, where it's like, "I'm such a fool. Why didn't I say this from the beginning? It was right in front of my face." So whatever this movie is, uh, I think it's going to be pretty interesting. And then we're going to round out the month with Tommy Wiseau's "The Room" with Andrew Dar. I am so, so excited for that one. So you've probably heard like I don't know. Dozens of takes on this movie by now. They're they're getting the disaster artist uh, adaptation is coming to screen. Like you've you've seen the room very likely. If you haven't, this is your chance to catch up. And I think we're going to take it on in a way that you've never heard before. So I'm very excited about that. Up. Yep. Then we're going to wrap up the month with Josephine <laughs> bringing a very Josephine a, a, a very movie. Is so much movie. Firefox, a Clint Eastwood fighter pilot movie. Cold War. Cold War. Yeah. Cold War fighter pilot movie, uh, which is a very Joseph Finn pick. This uh, a man uh, with a, a an incredible command of pop culture ephemera yeah. that only he remembers. Yeah, it's eighteen hours long. Um, yeah, he he's like that massive library from Game of Thrones, but like every book is like, hey, do you remember that spinoff to Barney Miller? And you're like, no, I was dead. I haven't. Been I, born for I was years. dead. I was do you, dead. Do you think you're dead before you're born? Is that how you refer to yourself? I mean, if you go on your, do you the, call your uh, birthday as the day you rose from the dead? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a sense, are either dead or alive? Oh yeah, like the movie I mean, Dead or Alive. Dead or Alive. Yeah. Or like the volleyball game. Or the volleyball game. Or the the volleyball game where the volleyball stars punch each other. Oh. And they have bouncy breasts. Haven't seen it. Yeah. They have um, voluptuous breasts and perverts play this game for uh, sexual satisfaction. Hmm. They don't know about the internet? I think they hadn't invented it in 2008 okay. yet. <laughs> well, good for them. I'm glad they find something to keep them away from the rest of us in society. Why? Um, why? 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 Why is there so much pervy video games when there's so much straight up like so much beautiful fun. internet porn so much just, pornography like, type, it's free you could just type oh. in like anything and it will find a porn version of it yeah. like why do you need to be like i need to spend just, 60 dollars just type in porn three second volleyball in near automata oh, oh yeah <laughs> you, as again uh as, as two people that met talking about video games gamers are the worst anyway yeah so yeah so firefox the room 
pump up the volume and urge a very eclectic month. And then uh, we, we're not going to get into detail, but obviously October we're going to be doing the Spooktober recaps again every week. Uh, we have a great horror theme for the month that we'll share in a couple weeks. Uh, so get your lists ready. We're going to be talking about them a lot. We're going to try to do more uh, Spooktober list interactions where we're, we're actually posting the stuff that we watched on, on our Facebook page, uh, maybe on our website, uh, because we really not just want to share with Peter and myself and um, the guests that are on during that month. But we also really want the opportunity to, to interact with you guys and hear what, what you guys are, are watching, what you guys liked, recommendations. I want Spooktober to be a, a big social event for our group because I feel like we got a lot of horror fans. We consistently get a lot of listens on horror yep. episodes, so I assume you're out there. A lot of horror fans who uh, you don't have to do the full 31 uh, 31 days, but like whatever the hell you end up watching in October that is a loosely horror thriller based. Uh, we want to hear about it on the group. Yeah. Even if you're only doing like a, hey, I'm going to try to get 10 horror movies or on the weekends, I'm going to watch horror movies or, you know, I'm going to see a couple in theaters or some new ones. Like we really want to have a lot more of that interaction where we're sharing picks, talking about good stuff and, and also giving recommendations. Um to other people too so so as they say when you've walked a long way my dogs are barking although in this case it is my actual dog who is barking at me to wrap this baby up peter can you hear him doug's on the show again occasional host douglas armstrong the first reginald douglas reginald duggington so so yeah uh, first of his name i think i think we're done here peter it's been a pleasure having a one-on-one just the two two watch boys just just watching it up boying it up and that's a good awkward ending we'll see you next folks thanks for listening to we love to watch thank you so much for listening to our show and we've got just a few quick announcements for you there ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs baby if you'd like to talk to us uh tell us we're stupid tell us we're beautiful the quickest way to get to us is our facebook group facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. 
And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening. So we love to watch.